Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. There are pioneers in every field. Individuals that had the ideas, the passion, and the gumption to create something of nothing, paving the way for thousands like him or her or me. Last week, the paranormal world lost one of our pioneers. Coast to Coast AM's Art Bell. Without the groundwork laid out by Art Bell, there would likely be no Monsters Among Us podcast, nor any paranormal podcast for that matter. Without trailblazers like Art, we'd still find ourselves somewhere in the darkness. Rest in peace, Art. I hope you now have all of the answers. I have a phenomenal show lined up for you guys this evening. I actually have quite a few calls to share, so I'm just going to jump right into it. Our first call of the evening touches on a couple calls from past shows. This is Michael's call from Oregon. Hi, Derek. Uh, my name is Michael. Um, <clears throat> I currently live in Oregon, but uh, listening to the last show, uh, Sarah reported a uh, giant spider with a human head, um, and her story was actually very similar to um, a, a story that I have from when I was a teenager um, living in a house in Louisiana, um, and it, uh, originally I heard the story about Scott the soldier in Bosnia and um, I actually had a similar experience and I listened to your podcast and while I was driving home I nearly wrecked my car uh, listening to her experience because it was it kind of shocked me uh, back to those memories and um, I remember one night when I was a teenager um, I had several experiences before that though um, with different things uh, shadow people and all this stuff but uh I remember I was laying in bed and I something woke me up and I was face to face with a human head but it had a very spider look to the face um, with like the mandibles and everything and then I 
as I woke up further, I could see the rest of the spider's body. It was laying on the pillow next to me, staring at me. Um, and of course, I freak out and I grabbed the, a baseball bat that I had in my room and I start trying to attack this thing and I chase it down my hallway and I can, I swear I can hear it screaming at me as I'm chasing it down the hallway. And I remember my mother and my sister coming out and they try to, uh, they're like, what's going on? And I'm, I'm telling them, like, hey, there's this giant spider with a human face and it's, I just chased it down the hallway. Did you see it? And, and of course, you know, they're, they're saying they didn't see it. it Basically, it's kind of vanished, and um, I, I don't know. It's it's, it's it's kind of now that I've heard those two stories, I was like, I've, I've got a call because that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Um, but uh, hey, thanks, Derek, and uh, maybe I'll call back with uh, some other things. I really love the show. Uh, keep it up. Hi, Derek. It's uh, Michael again. I just called too long ago about uh, the spider with the human face. Um, I was a little excited when I called because, uh, like I said, I was kind of terrifying to hear that uh, Sarah's story. Um, but uh, as soon as I got home, I did some research uh, because, I, like I said, I haven't thought about it for years. But uh, what I found was there is a reference to an Inuit demon um, that has a human's head and a spider's body called Ashravik. And apparently it is a, a demon that is a man-eater so I don't know if that helps or not and I'm not quite sure what that means that I saw um, I haven't seen it since since I haven't lived in a house um, but uh, yeah maybe if uh, maybe we can find some more somebody else can look, look into it further alright thanks Derek bye thank you Michael of course Michael is referring to Sarah's story on episode 7 of season 5 and Scott's call from episode 4 of season 3. These giant spider calls are fascinating. Not only are they relatively unheard of, but they also seem to run the gamut on size, description, and location. But using the information Michael provided, I took to the web in search of this infamous Azravak, the Inuit legend that he touched on. I was actually only able to find a few snippets here and there detailing that particular legend, but one site did give this description. The Azravak, a monstrous spider with a human head. It ate those who stayed out on the ice longer than they should have. Now to me, that's a classic cautionary tale. The ice is dangerous. If you're alone out there at night, any number of bad things can happen to you. So you implant that knowledge early, manifest as a boogeyman created to encourage kids and adults alike to stay off the ice at dangerous times. Or you know, a giant spider will come and devour you. I don't know about them, but that's enough to send me off the ice come sundown. Thank you again, Michael, for taking the time to share this story. I find these cases fascinating. Our next call details two identical experiences, some 20 years apart. This is an anonymous call from the state of South Carolina. I wasn't sure if I was going to submit this. Honestly, I've only spoken about it twice in my life, both times online in a relevantly themed message board. I also want to stress that I am a skeptic, or at least as close to a skeptic as I can be while still having a strong interest in this stuff. Now, this happened when I was young, maybe 10, maybe even just a little younger. 
As a child, I often begged to stay at my grandparents. I don't really know why. I just did. It even annoyed my grandfather to no end, but they would still never tell me no, no matter his complaints. So often on the weekends, that's exactly where I stayed. Except this time, this would be the last I would ever ask to stay over as a child. My grandfather usually went to bed pretty late on these nights. Normally he was watching late night reruns of M.A.S.H. or catching Letterman's show, and then he would turn in. I stayed up with him and went to sleep on the couch when he turned off the TV, checked the doors, and headed to his own room. There was nothing strange about this night. It was one of those humid summer evenings in South Carolina with a bit of stickiness in the air. Despite this, I remember falling asleep pretty easily. This is where my story really begins. I woke up staring into the ceiling, able to see thanks to the outside porch light shining in from behind the shades but also from the door being open. I really wanted to sit up and shut the door. I don't think I even wondered as to why it was open at the time, just that it wasn't supposed to be and it needed to be shut. But I couldn't sit up to do it. I felt an immense pressure on me, like something was pushing down on me to keep me where I was. Anyone with a brother and had ever gotten to a fit of wrestling with them might understand. It was like being sat on. It was around the time that I was realizing that I couldn't move, that I saw it. Today, now interested in the paranormal stuff, I understand what a shadow person is, that whole crone phenomena, plus the other apparitions that people see when suffering from a night terror and sleep paralysis. At around 10 years of age, well, I wasn't, and what I saw was unsettling as hell. Looming over the couch I had been sleeping on, which was positioned not along the wall but extending off of it, creating a little walkway from the door to the rest of the room, was this dark, tall, shadowy figure. I don't remember exactly what its body looked like except that it was dark, not transparent like a shadow but like a dark fabric, I guess. I can't describe it as lanky or anything either because my memory of that sort of detail is lost to time now. But there is one physical detail that I can remember vividly, and that is that it had a deer head. I could make this out because I could see the rack of antlers on it. I don't remember it being a sizable rack, though, just the familiar protrusions anyone who has hunted, as I had as a child, would be familiar with. Now, the deer thing was looking down at me, kind of like it was studying me, not really moving, not doing anything but looking at me. It didn't make any sounds, and the strangest thing is, I wasn't even all that scared, not at the time. The figure gave off a presence. I've read some recollections from others recounting their experiences with similar beings that they see, but most of them describe a sense of dread or fear, something terrifying. What I saw wasn't quite like that. It wasn't a threatening presence at all, rather, the sense I got from it, well... What I'm going by here is the lasting impression I had for a few days after my encounter, and that was confusion, but I'll return to that in a moment. I don't know if I lost time during this, and even if I had had access to one during this, my kid self probably wouldn't have thought to check a clock, but I feel like we stayed like that, motionless, for a long time. And during this I realized everything was quiet. The door was open, and I couldn't hear the crickets chirping. No sound at all. And then I was asleep again. I don't mean, and then I woke up. I fell asleep. 
I can remember the moment that I closed my eyes without really wanting or meaning to and falling asleep. When I did wake up the next morning, my grandparents were already awake and the door was shut. They never mentioned it having been opened either. And I never asked them about what I saw or even mentioned it in passing. Not when I was a kid, and not once as I got older. I did, however, stop asking to stay over from then on. I said I would return to the confusion thing, so let me take a moment and stress something. I was not a dumb child, but I wasn't an exceptionally bright, or at least not particularly aware one, either. Not so aware as to have an existential crisis, at any rate. Yet for the following days, maybe even a week or more, I remember thinking that I wasn't really me. That doesn't even do it justice. What I was feeling around this time, uh, I distinctly recall questioning if I was human, and not just dreaming my life. It was, to this day, the strangest, most bizarre thing I had and have experienced in my life. I really wish I had the words to describe it. I've never felt that way since. Like something had been scooped out of me, and it apparently had a lasting effect on me, because my mom noticed the change in my personality and took me to see a child therapist not long after, and I was eventually put on an antidepressant. Over the years, I ran through my own list of explanations for what I saw that night. Mind, this was before I had an interest in the paranormal, so I never really came across shadow people, the night hag or anything similar, so my explanations were more mundane such as a guy breaking in wearing a mask, or my grandfather playing a prank, although the latter is incredibly unlikely. My grandfather had a sense of humor to him, but it was grounded. He was still a serious, no-nonsense man in the end. I can discount seeing something in the darkness, like a decoration or a hat stand or anything, however. There was nothing like that at my grandparents, and definitely no mounted trophy of a deer at the door. The house, though? is said to be haunted, or at least sometimes visited by my past family members. But I always, and still do, consider that mostly to be my grandmother's imagination. I did eventually forget this event, for a long time. That is, until the recent hurricane troubles. Tradition in my family is that we all go to my grandparents to weather a hurricane, and this was the first major hurricane that was supposed to hit us in years. The whole family is over there, so I head out that way too. I'm 28 now, and I don't even think about how long it had been since I stayed the night. So the hurricane isn't much to talk about. By the time I'm there and my family and extended family are all settled, it's barely more than a tropical storm. Late in the night though, we're all woken up by a scream and a door slamming. The scream belongs to my young cousin. I rush in from the back room to find her sitting upright on the couch. The lights are turned on by other family members, and I realize she's sleeping on the same couch I used to sleep on, which makes me remember what I experienced almost 15 years past. With her, the couch, everything pretty much in the same position it had been all those years ago. I felt a little sick then, found a seat that was not anywhere nearby the couch, and waited as my cousin is consoled by her mom. Me and the other guys eventually go out and look around the property, but we don't really find anything. The rain is heavy, trees are thickest the farther away from the house you go. So if someone was out there hiding, it was going to take a lot more manpower than we had. And that's the end of my story. Nothing else major happened that night, and I've never spoken to my family about what I experienced as a kid. 
and I still haven't asked my cousin who or what she saw either, and to be honest, I don't want to know. Night terror, intruder, unfriendly ghost, I'm more than happy not knowing. But it is nice to talk it all out. The last two times I've shared this online with others, some of whom are making up stories, others that are genuine, I've skimped on a lot of details, and I'm sure there is some more I could add if I could accurately recall them enough to do so. So yeah. I've only recently discovered Monsters Among Us, and I'm greatly enjoying the work you do, so I thought maybe you could share my story too. Thank you. Thank you for that submission. I made an instant connection when listening to this call. The mention of the antlers immediately reminded me of the infamous Wendigo. Here is a little refresher on the Wendigo from YouTube contributor Paranormal Nexus. The legend of the Wendigo has existed in North America for hundreds of years. References to this creature or something similar are present in folk tales of several North American tribes. While small details differ from story to story, the major details remain constant. According to the legend, the Wendigo is a cannibalistic monster or evil spirit that haunts the frozen forests of the northern United States and Canada. The Wendigo is a twisted, monstrous version of a human that's sole purpose in life is to hunt down other humans. It is usually described as being very tall and gaunt, with skin that is gray and appears to be decaying. Its appearance has been compared to a gaunt corpse torn from its grave. They are extremely fast and intelligent, making them outstanding hunters. They are impossibly thin and their long arms end with long, sharp talons most likely used for tearing apart their helpless victims. Wendigo appear and sound like humans because they are human. A Wendigo is born from a human that is suffering from starvation so severely that they resorted to cannibalizing other humans to survive. A person can only become a Wendigo when they are in the weakened state that is associated with a lengthy period of starvation. This either turns the person into a Wendigo immediately, or makes them susceptible to the evil spirit of the Wendigo. Either way, once human flesh is consumed, legends say that the person will become a Wendigo at some point. Wendigos are historically associated with having insatiable hunger and being the embodiment of gluttony. The beasts are never satisfied after killing one person and will constantly search for more prey once it runs out of food. Anthropologists believe that the legend of the Wendigo was first created to scare starving people and warn them away from the evils of consuming human flesh. In the more desolate frozen areas of the world like northern Canada, winter is particularly harsh and food is often hard to come by. Inevitably people would die and it is considered taboo for a human to consume another human, even if you are starving. It is this taboo act that attracts the attention of the spirit of the Wendigo. South Carolina is not in the North, nor was there any mention of cannibalism or even hunger described by our caller. But those details aside, I couldn't help but notice that both creatures don antlers atop their heads. It should go without saying that having two separate people witness the same entity some 20 years apart certainly gives the story some clout. So thank you again, caller, for taking the time to share this story. Up next, we revisit a topic from one of the early episodes of Monsters Among Us. This is an anonymously submitted call from the Bridgewater Triangle area of Massachusetts. 
Hi, Derek. Um, I'm calling from Eastern Massachusetts. Um, first off, I want to say that I love your podcast. I've been listening to it for a really long time. I really love to freak myself out on my way to work at 3 in the morning because um, I go there and I work alone. So, yeah, it's really fun. Um, so I'm calling about a series of strange events that happened when I went to Bridgewater State. I know that you've mentioned the Bridgewater Triangle, and um, though I lived in Bridgewater for about five years, I never really experienced any of that, except when I lived on campus at Bridgewater State. And I lived my freshman year at in Woodward Hall, which is one of the oldest dorms there. It's just for freshmen. There's not a lot of um, dorms. And there were always ghost stories that would go around, but I always shrugged them off and thought they were kind of stupid. Um, but one of the first things that happened to me was I, it was in the middle of the day around noon. It was like a sunny day. I was taking a nap in between classes and I kind of felt like I was falling all of a sudden. And I turned over to my right side, and there was, like, this big, black, not a figure, but it was more, like, blackness. And I felt like I was falling off the side of the bed. I wasn't, but this figure sort of stopped me, and it felt like it was encompassing me. It was really weird. I I remember I never slept facing that way ever again, so I was too afraid of seeing that. The next one was kind of a coincidence to one of the ghost stories. Somebody once said there was a girl that lived on the third floor that would come down under the come down on the second floor, which is where I lived, and she this girl had tried to kill herself by setting herself on fire, so she was knocking on everybody's doors trying like asking them for help. And I was like, That's ridiculous. No thanks. So my dorm bed was closest to the door, and one night, probably around like 2 or 3 a.m., I woke up to this really frantic knocking, like open palm, like I need to get in knocking. And I sprang up, opened the door, nobody was there. Uh, Our dorm was in the middle of a hall, so I don't think that, I think that I would have noticed if someone was playing a prank on us and, like, trying to hide in a dorm next door or, like, run around the corner. But, like, there's no one there. I didn't hear anything except me. The doors were also really heavy, so I would have heard somebody else opening a door, like, shutting it. Um, So that was weird. And there was always, like, running around upstairs late at night. Like, it always sounded like somebody was in high heels walking upstairs which is super strange, even though, like, no one would be awake. And then the third one, and the one that freaks me out the most, is I put, I decorated our dorm with um, Christmas lights. And I made sure that they were up there. I think I tacked them up and then taped them up. And I put them all around the room. And one night, I woke up and I noticed our TV was still on 
So I, um, I reached over to go shut it off, and then all of a sudden, from the opposite corner of the room, our Christmas lights started falling, like, not falling down, but it looked as though they were being ripped down. And they would be ripped down in one place and then ripped down in another place until all of them were down. And then I was like, what the hell? What is going on? I, my roommate didn't even wake up. It was so bizarre. And I never put them back up. Um, yeah, and there's another building on campus that I had, like, music lessons in. And it's the campus center, and that's all also known to house, like, one kind of poltergeisty kind of character. And I remember there would be times late at night right before the building was supposed to close, and I would be... So there were three practice rooms, and they were all soundproof, and each room had a piano in it. And the middle room was the smaller. It could fit just an upright piano. And I remember my back was to the practice room, and I was just sitting there reading a book. And all of a sudden, I heard music coming from the piano in one of the rooms. And I look around because I knew that I was alone. And I, I, it was very faint, too. And it was one or two keys. And I looked, and no one was in there I didn't know if somebody had come behind me and walked into one of the rooms but nope no one was in there and I knew that my friends had said that that happened to them sometimes um that they would just hear random pianos and I I think I just booked it out of there um but yeah those are all the instances that happened at Bridgewater um no other kind of uh, Pukwudgie or um, any other instances like that. Uh, but I know that a lot of messed up stuff happens happens in uh, that college and around that area. But hopefully uh, you can use this. Um, thank you. Thanks again for the podcast and keep it up. Right, bye. Thank you, caller. Like the Wendigo, I explored the Bridgewater Triangle way back on episode 5 of season 1. I highly suggest you check out that episode if you haven't already. The Bridgewater Triangle is certainly a strange place. And, if my brief coverage on that cursed area is not enough to quench your thirst, might I suggest a documentary. If you have access to Amazon Streaming, I highly suggest a program called The Bridgewater Triangle, a link to which can be found in tonight's show notes along with links to all the clips used this evening. Do yourself a favor and check it out. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So thank you again, caller, for sharing those experiences with us. Our next story comes to us via Michael in Illinois. Hi, Derek. It's Michael from Illinois. I uh, was just listening to your Season 5, Episode 3, and I heard a story from a girl from Tennessee who claimed to have missing time when she was a child. Um, hers was a little bit more interesting than mine. Um, she went, was looking out the window and you know might have seen something and then experienced the missing time and just had this like feeling of becoming aware. And um, you know I've heard a lot of missing time stories and 
I uh, have been interested in the paranormal for a while now, and as much as I racked my brain, I could never think of a time where I, I had experienced any missing time or anything significant like that. Uh, you know, aside, you know, granted all the other kind of strange things I've seen, that's one thing I was so sure I had never experienced. And her story really triggered something. And I remember experiencing like a very similar thing um, where it, it wasn't necessarily what I was doing before I went to sleep. It was more that it was a similar same feeling of I, I don't remember going to sleep. I don't remember waking up. I just remember bright light and um, my mom coming in the bedroom when I came, you know, that that's kind of like when I, I guess, snapped out of it. <clears throat> I remember I was, uh, my bed was against the wall and it was just a double. So I am laying on my left side facing the wall and I'm tracing things into the the blank white wall next to me and my mom comes in and she says you know it's time to get up and I immediately say like I know I didn't go to sleep and she was like oh, of course you went to sleep blah 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 and uh you know kids being kids or whatever but thinking back it was kind of like you know, I really, I know what I felt. It really was that just kind of like coming to awareness and knowing I had not gone to sleep. Um, so yeah, uh, that was kind of a crazy revelation for me and it's not really that, you know, incredible of a story. Um, so, uh, appreciate the listen. Um, and, uh, uh, hopefully I'll come up with some more stuff to submit to you, because um, it's been a pretty wild ride running through my memories and, like, really kind of accumulating them all and realizing that, you know, I've I've had a bit stranger life than most, even though I know I'm a stranger person than most already, but it was kind of, you know, just experiencing the full spectrum of strangeness, so see you around. Thank you, Michael. Missing time is a funny thing. It's been associated with anything from mental illness and brain tumors to alien abduction and even our favorite, the mirrored men. But if this phenomenon is real, what or who is causing it and to what end? It seems that when it does happen, it's never a positive experience. No one is helping you forget that five-hour car ride or that boring presentation that you were forced to sit through. So, what's the purpose? What, exactly, is being hidden? Now before I move on, Michael mentioned something that really resonated with me. He said something to the effect that he didn't realize he had an experience until the show prompted him to explore his past. It's my opinion that everyone falls into this category, myself included. I constantly tell little anecdotal, first-hand stories on the program. Stories that I'd completely forgotten about until a call comes in that jars something loose. So with that said, keep your minds open. You never know what's hidden deep in the folds of your long-term memory. Thank you again, Michael, for
for that great call and that great point. Alright, I have one last story to share with you, but first, check this out. Have you submitted a review on iTunes yet? Over 460 of you have, but, to be honest, I'd love to add a couple of zeros to that number. Head over to iTunes or your podcast app and rate and review the show today. Now I realize some of you have reached out wanting to help, but the platform you use does not allow reviews. In that case, please take to Facebook and share a post about the show. Encourage friends to check it out, spread the word, and we'll continue to grow. And speaking of Facebook, please follow the show on both Facebook and Instagram. I'm also on Twitter, but I'm terrible with the upkeep. I should also add that if you're not a member of the Monsters Among Us fan page, you are seriously missing out. The amazing Addie Lloyd volunteers countless hours a week to supply us with top-notch entertainment and information. Trust me, this is a group you want to be part of. So head over to Facebook and search Monsters Among Us fan page, or simply follow the link in tonight's show notes. And while we're on the subject of signing up for things, become a Patreon supporter today and get access to two additional shows a month plus a video, not to mention all the past bonus material. Follow the link in the show notes or go to patreon.com and search for Monsters Among Us. A measly $4 gives you access to all this and more. So, sign up today. And lastly, if you have a story to share, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the Report Your Sightings tab at monstersamonguspodcast.com for more submission options. Now, some of you have reached out to me lately wanting to know why your story has not been played. I'll be honest. I have, at any given time, probably 50 calls and another 50 written stories to go through, so it takes some time. I do my best to put together a call package that covers all aspects of the paranormal. So sometimes it's all about the perfect fit. So if you have a call in, please don't get impatient. I will find a time to play it. Okay, let's get back to the program. Our final call of the evening takes me home. This is Josh's call from Mild Stomping Grounds, Ohio. Hey man, uh, my name is Josh. Thanks for taking my story. Uh, I'm 42 years old. I live in California, but I grew up in uh, rural Ohio, uh, just south of Canton, Akron area. Most of my young life, uh, I would go raccoon hunting with my dad on school nights. And uh, up behind our house was a hill that had no trees on it. We used to call it Bald Hill. And we went up there with uh, the two dogs and my dad, and it was me uh, with him. And uh, as we come up over the ridge there, you could see the tree line. It was a moonlit night, um, and the dogs were with us, which was unusual. Usually they'll run off and chase a raccoon up the tree, then you wait and they bark a certain way and you go over that tree and shine a light up in the tree and blind the raccoon and shoot it. But the dogs were sticking with us and that was weird. And uh, just as soon as we come up out of the tree line, you could see Bald Hill uh, about 30 yards up the hill from us and a silhouette of a tall, very tall man standing up on top of the hill. And I was about 10 years old and it freaked me out because it just didn't, it was so out of place. The other things that really, really scared me as a kid 
was that the dogs would not go up the hill no matter what happened. They were scared out of their minds. And my dad, who I saw punch a cop, <laughs> not scared of anything, had a gun with him, uh, said, hey, we, we got to go home right now. And he gave out a big yell to, to this man, thinking, like, well, maybe it's a hunter or somebody else up there. But they had no flashlight. And as soon as my dad gave out a loud yell, this thing turned and took off down the op, like going the opposite direction of us, so down the hill from us. And uh, I had never in my entire life saw my dad be scared of anything. Uh, I can't say that it was Bigfoot, but at the same time, I'm sure it was Bigfoot. Uh, like I said, I was only 10 years old at the time, but knowing that something scared my dad that bad has scared the ever-living crap out of me my entire life. Uh, and it's definitely in that area. There are Bigfoot sightings, and I've never seen or heard anything else since then. I've been in the woods a lot, but that was one of those things that just I could never figure that out. So, hey, I enjoy the show. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you, Josh, for that exciting call. I know the area Josh is talking about well, and to say it's famous for Bigfoot sightings would be a bit of an understatement. The Sasquatch Triangle, as it's affectionately called, is an area covering parts of Tuscaroras, Guernsey, Coshocton, and Muskingum counties. Counties I've spent a ton of time in. This infamous swatch of land contains a park that's well known to Bigfooters, Salt Fork State Park. A park I showcased in an investigation video earlier this year. Of course, in those parts, the creature isn't known as Bigfoot or Sasquatch, but by another name, the Ohio Grassman. The Grassman is so prominent in this area that several well-known television programs have filmed there, including Mountain Monsters, Finding Bigfoot, and even Monster Quest. Ohio, the Buckeye State, known for its heavy industry and home to more than 11 million people. But there is also a rural and wild side to the state. Eastern Ohio, a place where eyewitnesses have long told stories of a creature that evokes the fear of a bogeyman. These monster tales may be rooted in a real creature that eyewitnesses continue to report. They call it the Grassman. It had long, uh, flowing hair around its shoulders, and something came up over the ridge. Black, broad shoulder. It was a, a massive uh, individual. It did walk under a limb that uh, later on we measured at 10 feet high. It's typically described as human-like because of the fact that it's walking up right on two legs. You know, he's shaped like a linebacker with a broad shoulders, broad back. Uh, no neck, small head, you know, up into the neck area. Very large muscular arms, very long arms. Most eyewitnesses describe the grass man as seven to eight feet tall, walking upright with broad shoulders and black to brownish hair. The creature is also said to have a very muscular build with large hands and feet. Reports of the Grassman date back as far as 1869. On January 23rd in Belia County, a man and his daughter were enjoying a stroll when a wild man leapt at the father. After a long and violent struggle between the man and the beast, the daughter picked up a rock and threw it at the creature, striking it in the head, allowing the man and his daughter to escape. 
They describe the creature as gigantic in size, with burning eyes and being covered in hair. In the book A Buckeye Boyhood, William Venable described a gorilla-like creature that was particularly fond of the taste of cowardly blood. Its fearsome aggression became legend. That clip is from Season 2, Episode 4 of Monster Quest, entitled The Ohio Grassman. Now, personally, I have my doubts about this creature's existence in that part of the country. In my opinion, there's simply too many people, too many roads, not enough wintertime food, and not enough land. But then again, people claim to have seen something. People like Josh, and people like my friend Frank, whom I mentioned a few seasons ago who ran into something loud and large while trudging through some thick brush, also while coon hunting. Whether or not creatures such as the Grassman exist is not for me to say. But what I can say is that the legend is alive and well in Southeast Ohio. Thank you again, Josh, for taking the time to share this great little story. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd and Warren Pon Abbott. Any audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu and Coag Music. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. starts with an invitation to experience Lexus. To connect with us. To see that no detail is too small. To be our special guest. It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle, but it becomes an exceptional experience. The Invitation to Lexus sales event. Your invitation is always open, but the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more.